You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, We're going to start there this morning, and then we will be in Exodus chapter 33 and 34 a little bit this morning as well. Um... Baptisms are awesome, right? Like, that was just great. Like, like that's, that's like some of the best moments that we get to have in church. And uh, they're, they're this outward symbol of this inward work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. Uh, baptism is this step of obedience you've heard it talked about today already that, that says, uh, I believe, first of all, that, that Jesus has died in my place for my sin and that He is risen again, and that He is Lord of all, that He's seated at the right hand of God, and that everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth is under His feet. He is the sovereign Savior and Lord over all. And in baptism, what we're saying, even as somebody is put under the water, they're saying, I have died with Christ. I've entered into the death of Christ. And I have been raised with Christ. As they come out of the water, that's what they're declaring. That that God has raised me to a whole new life in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what it means uh, when when Zach and when Shelly enter into these waters. they're They're saying that I have died to myself. I am no longer in control of my own life. I am no longer belonging to myself. I'm no longer belonging to some other person who has... Uh, has put me in bondage or captivity. Uh, I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I belong to Him alone. Amen? Amen. And then even as they declare that they have died to themselves, they're also declaring that, that they have been raised with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they have a whole new life in the Spirit. And so they're saying that the Spirit of God has taken residence inside of me and He has changed me and He is changing me and He's changing my heart and He's replacing my desires and He's producing new character and I see new fruit coming out of my life that can only be attributed to Him. And that kind of transformation just doesn't happen apart from the work of God and the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Well, you can't just muster that up. You can't just conjure that up and say one day, okay, I'm going to just start following Jesus and, and, and I'm just going to change my whole life. It just doesn't happen. Like you've heard the many false starts that we can tend to have. And, and then the Holy Spirit just takes over and He's like, I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm changing everything. And, and so it's not the, the baptism itself this morning that is powerful. It's the inward reality that that baptism represents. The baptism provides this opportunity to recognize the work that God has done in a person's life. And so I just want you to start to reflect on your own life now. We've heard from Zach. We've heard from Shelly. Thank you both for sharing and giving glory to God in that way. But I want you to start reflecting on your own life. Uh, Have you had that heart-level encounter with God where you put your faith fully in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Where you've died to yourself 
And the Spirit of God has given you a whole new life. You see, to be a Christian, to be truly saved by the work of Christ, is to enter into a series of encounters with the living God. That's what it means. It's not some religion that you join. It's a relationship with God that you enter into by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're in a series right now that's called Encounters with God. And we're learning what it looks like to encounter the living God together. Who is this God that we encounter? And and how can we know that we have truly encountered Him in our life? And we're looking at some of the, the theophany passages, the times when God has shown up in very physical, tangible ways. And we're learning from those theophany passages passages, who is God and what does it look like when he shows up in my life? And and these are descriptive passages. They're not prescriptive passages. So they're not necessarily telling us what to do or how to encounter God. We're, We're seeing how somebody else encountered him and we're learning from their experience about what our experience is supposed to look like. Okay? To be a Christian is to meet with God in an ongoing way. And yet too often people think that God just wants them to have like like one big spiritual experience. Like let's just get one big spiritual experience. Let's pray a prayer. Let's raise a hand at some altar call or a camp meeting or something like that. Uh, let's, Let's say that we believe in Jesus and maybe get baptized, you know, just have that one experience. But but then they don't really realize that that God wants them to meet with him again and again and again. They think it's just like one time and then I die and then I get to encounter him in heaven. Or if they, they do realize that, that God wants something more for them, uh, they, they just kind of go through religious motions sometimes. Like they come to church, they pray a prayer before meals, they, they look for some inspiration or self-improvement in like one Bible verse or a devotional or, or, or like some spiritual sounding self-help book. Like have you ever been there? Like I can be honest, I've, I've been there going through the motions, just coming to church. But they don't really encounter the God of the Bible. The God that we read about, the God that we're going to read about today. You see, God wants, you, wants to do something supernatural in your life. And if you think that coming to church on a Sunday morning and even being here in this moment and singing some of the songs, like if you think that that's like, like just this ritual thing that we do, you are sadly mistaken. Because there is a God who is here with us, even right now, by His Holy Spirit, who is speaking to us through His Word. And He wants to bring you into a whole new relationship with Him, where you encounter Him through faith. And He wants to give you a whole new purpose for living, that would be to behold His glory, and then to bring Him glory in your life. And that you would live entirely for Him. And if baptism is truly an encounter with God, it's going to result in a lifetime of walking by faith in God and seeing Him work in some awesome ways, both in you and through you. So here's the big idea we want to explore today. Uh, When I truly encounter God, His Spirit frees me to behold Christ's glory in my life. When I truly encounter God, His Spirit frees me to behold Christ's glory in my life. If you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 12 
If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the seat back in front of you. I'd love for you to see God's Word for yourself. There's a page number in your bulletin notes. If you don't have a Bible permanently, we'd love for you to just keep that Bible. Just take it. It's our gift to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When I truly encounter God, His Spirit frees me to behold Christ's glory in my life. And that last verse that we just read, we kind of mentioned it a few weeks ago when we were studying Ezekiel chapter uh, chapter 1 and um, we were seeing what the glory of God uh, uh, looked like as it appeared to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1. And that was an awesome, life-transforming a glimpse of the glory of God. And so today we want to explain a little bit more of the context and, and an encounter with God that Moses had uh, that Paul is talking about here. And so 2 Corinthians, just to give you some context, is Paul's defense of his ministry. Uh, the Corinthian church has had like a lot of ups and downs and uh, they've, had, they've been a, a pretty messed up church over time. So they're actually at a better spot now, but still not great. Um, And so Paul has written a couple of really difficult letters to the Corinthian church to correct them on some things. And the book of 2 Corinthians now is is kind of after some of those more difficult letters. And yet there's still some people in the city of Corinth, in the the church, who are trying to detract from Paul's message. And and the way that they're going about that is this. They're saying, uh, because Paul suffered, because he looks weak, and he doesn't talk so well, and he's always getting himself into trouble, and because of all of those things, then God must not be in his ministry. And God must not be in his message. That his gospel must be off in some way. And so Paul is defending himself and the gospel message that he preaches so that the church in Corinth wouldn't be led astray and would then continue contributing to the global mission of the church worldwide. So that they wouldn't be led off track and and that they wouldn't stop in the mission that God had given them and that they would be able to keep going. And and, and so Paul is defending himself here uh, against his opponents. Now, now most of uh, the opponents of Paul wanted Christians to be more Jewish. You've got to understand that, that Christianity, of course, was born out of Judaism because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He was, he was Israel's Savior. But Paul's whole job is to take that message and spread it all 
throughout the world to the Gentiles, to people who aren't Jewish, and say, Israel's Messiah is for all of you too. And, and, and so Paul's opponents want everybody to become a lot more Jewish, and Paul's like, no, 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 this is the Savior for the whole world. And so they, there were civil laws and ceremonial laws and all of these different things that they wanted the Gentile believers to take on for themselves. They were laws that had allowed Israel to encounter God prior to Jesus coming to rescue them from their sin. But Paul knew that Jesus had fulfilled the law, he had brought it to completion, and he had brought in this whole new way of relating to God. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is defending his ministry by showing the beauty and the superiority of the gospel message that he preaches. He's he's showing them how much better his message is than the Old Testament. He's showing that, that even though the Old Covenant law came through Moses on Mount Sinai was, was glorious, he doesn't deny the fact that it was glorious, that it was awesome, that it was beautiful, but he says, the, the, the gospel message that I preach is even more glorious. It's even more beautiful because it's permanent and lasting. And that's what gave Paul hope that Christ had fulfilled the law, that He had brought it to His full completion. So you heard it earlier today, that Jesus was the one who perfectly obeyed God's demands. And then He took His perfect, obedient life and He sacrificed it on the cross in our place for our sins. And then He rose again, conquering Satan, sin, and death, having the final victory. And everyone who turns to Him by faith can encounter God in a new way through the personal Holy Spirit who indwells and controls them. And Paul says, since we have such a hope. We sang about the living hope earlier, didn't we? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now when he says we there, he's talking about himself and Timothy. Uh, He In chapter 1, verse 1, he tells us that he's writing the book with Timothy. And so he says, we are very bold in the ministry that we have. We, the word boldness means that he speaks with plainness. He, he doesn't cut corners. He doesn't hide the truth. He's just outright and blatant in his message. We are very bold. We are very forthright in our speech. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So, Paul and Timothy are contrasting the boldness, the the plainness of their message, the way that they don't hide Jesus Christ and all of His glory, and they're, they're contrasting that plainness with the veil that Moses put over his face after he talked with God, and and after he would then go before the Israelites and speak on behalf of God. Now, now in order to really get the full effect of this, I want to take us back into Exodus chapters 33 and 34 and see Moses' encounters with God. See the way that he encountered God, because this is going to be um, helpful in understanding the way that we get to encounter God. Paul is saying that the type of encounter with God that we have through the gospel, is actually better and more lasting than the encounter that Moses got to have. 
So think about that as I'm telling you this story. So Exodus chapter 33 uh, is picking up uh, after God has led his nation of Israel out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt, and he's brought them, think about this, through the Red Sea. So there was a sea in their way, and he parted the waters on both sides, and they walked across on dry ground, and then the uh, Egyptian army that was chasing them down had gone through the sea after them, and God brought the waters completely caving in over top of them and destroyed the enemy in one fell swoop. Awesome. Awesome God. Everybody say, awesome God. Awesome God. Awesome. God, right? And so then he leads them to the base of Mount Sinai, right? And they get to Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden the mountain starts to look like it has a forest fire on top of it, right? Like, like it's just, it, it's trembling, it's smoking, it's, there's lightning, it's crazy, right? And, and they, they put up perimeters around the base, and they, like, they know that they are not supposed to go near this God. This is the same glory of God that we saw in Ezekiel chapter 1. The, the, the glory where the cherubim were underneath the, the, um, Chariot throne of God, there in Ezekiel chapter 1, uh, actually in Exodus chapter 24, we see that the 70 elders of Israel got to see that same platform, that same sapphire clear platform that Ezekiel saw in chapter 1. They get to see that for themselves uh, from the base of this mountain, right? And so the Israel knows, hey, we don't go up into this presence uninvited. We, we better not, because this is a glorious God. So they stay down at the bottom of the mountain, but, but Moses gets to go up, right? And he spends uh, 40 days and 40 nights. And, and God didn't tell Israel that Moses was going to be spending 40 days and 40 nights. And so they're like, well, he must be a goner. I mean, you would think that too, right? And so what do they do? They're like, we need a God who's not going to kill off our leaders. We need a God who we can control, who's a little bit more predictable. And so they get all of their gold together, and they get all their jewelry together, and they melt it down, and they bake a, a golden calf, and they start worshiping this golden calf. And so as that 40 days is wrapping up, God's like, Moses, you better get down and control your people. You, you better get down there and deal with those people because uh, they're worshiping a calf. And so Moses comes down, entering into this scene. And can you, can you imagine like what he's experiencing here? He just spent 40 days in the presence of the glory of God, and, and, and face to face with God. And, and he comes down, and they're worshiping some stupid little golden calf. He's got to be like, what are you people thinking? Did you not see the fire on the mountain? And so he throws the tablets that contain the Ten Commandments and he breaks them. And it's a sign that the, the relationship is broken because of this sin. And so what God says in Exodus chapter 33 is that he's going to send them into the promised land. He's going to send them into the land that he had said he would because God always keeps his promise. But he says, I'm not going to go with you. My presence is not going to go with you. You can go there, but you're not going to encounter me there because I'm just going to consume the people if I do that. And chapter 33, verse 4, take a look at that. It says, When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They're like, 
We cannot have that. We know that this God is holy. He has shown us He is holy. He has judged us. And we know that we need Him. And so Moses goes to work interceding for them. And in chapter 33, verses 7 to 11, we begin to see how Moses talks to God. And he's going in and out of this tent that he calls the tent of meeting. And Joshua, his, his servant, is there. Joshua is the one that's going to lead them into the promised land later. And, and in chapter 33, verse 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's awesome. That's awesome. That, that same God that made the mountains tremble and that ignited the forest with His glory spoke to Moses face to face. And so Moses says, in verse 12, he says, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. So Moses is interceding. He's like, I just want to know you. I, just, I don't want the promised land. I don't want all the milk and the honey. I don't want to know that I can own property and have all of that blessing, quote-unquote, without you. I just want your presence. I just want to know who you are. And so in verse 14, God says, uh, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And it's like Moses is so worked up in this moment, it's like he doesn't even hear God. In verse 15, he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. It's like, didn't you just hear what God said, Moses? Like, I just said, I'm going with you. But Moses is so concerned about this. For how shall it be known, verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Listen, to be the people of God, to be a believer in Jesus Christ. The thing that makes us distinct is that we get to be with God. God's people are marked by God's presence, not by anything else. First and foremost, it's about being with God. And that God would dwell in our midst. And that God would go with us. And if, if He won't go with us, we don't want anything else, right? So then Moses says, show me your glory. And, and God says, uh, I'll show you uh, the, the train of my robe. I'll show you my backside glory. But you cannot see my face. And so, so we get this sense that, that whatever Moses was doing face to face, it was sort of an analogy, right? It's like there's a very personal relationship here. And yet, and yet there's transcendent glory that's happening. You can't see my face. So we've got to keep that tension in mind even as we read this story and even as we talk about what it means to behold Christ's glory in our lives. That there is this God who is larger than the universe, who upholds the universe by the word of His power. We call that transcendent. 
And He also wants to come and draw near to His people. We call that imminent. And so, in chapter 34, verses 1 to 28, He restores and renews the covenant. And He... he calls Moses up to him and he gives him the Ten Commandments again, uh, writes them on new tablets of stone with his own hand. He, he reminds them to, uh, that they need to take, observe the Sabbath and observe some feasts that were very important to them remembering who God was and them encountering God in their midst. And then in chapter 34, verse 29, we start to see the part that Paul is referencing in 2 Corinthians 3. And I wanted to give you all of that background content because it's really important to us understanding the severity, the weight of what's happening here. Verse 29, chapter 34, verse 29, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he was talking with God. And Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. They would see the glory. And Moses would put the veil over his face again, until he went in to speak with him. That's glory. Wouldn't you agree? That's an encounter with God. And some of us might be like, like, like yeah, if I, if I could have that encounter with God on a regular basis, I might be a better follower of Jesus, right? I, I might actually be able to be a believer then. I would stop going through the motions. I would stop maybe sinning altogether. I'd be all in at that point, right? But Paul says, um, not so fast. You really want what Moses had? Like, check out what you have through the Holy Spirit. Because what we have is actually better and more permanent than what Moses had. And so head back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 now. Look at verse 12 again. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites not, might, might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened to this day when they read the Old Covenant that the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Paul says, uh, Moses veiled his face because the Israelites couldn't even handle the glory of a covenant that was fading. And there is some inference here that the glory on Moses' face would fade, and that's what he didn't want the Israelites to see. Because he's speaking to them face to face with the glory still shining on his face, and then he puts the veil on. 
And he had to keep going back into the presence of God that was located in the tent. And and that demonstrated that this covenant was a fading covenant, that it was not an enduring and abiding covenant. And that became the way that they continued to relate to God as they read the law that Moses wrote. And that veil remained over their eyes. They were still looking at God's glory through a veil. They didn't see it clearly. They would try to manipulate God by their external conformity to the law while their hearts remain far from Him, while their hearts remain unaffected by Him. And so God gave them this covenant in which He summarized it that, that they would love the Lord their God with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind and all of their strength. That was the whole purpose of the covenant. And then that they would love their neighbor as themselves. That God gave them this covenant where they could understand His ways And even where they could find atonement when they messed up in their sin. And what did they do? They ran the opposite direction. They ran the opposite direction from Him. They ran to honoring God with their lips while their hearts were far from God. They ran to all of the external signs of the law when what God wanted was their heart. And so you get to the times of the prophets and he's like, I don't want your feasts anymore. I don't want your worship anymore because your hearts are so far from me. And you get to the time of Jesus and all the Pharisees and all that they were doing and Jesus is like, your hearts are hard against the Lord. It was like they were looking at the law of God through that same veil. And instead of seeing the glory, all that they were seeing was the veil of their ritualistic performance. Paul and Timothy, in contrast, were very bold in the way that they delivered this new covenant message. The covenant they preached was permanent. The Holy Spirit confirmed it and it was ongoing. He was the continual presence of God sealing believers for the day of redemption and giving them constant access to the glory of God inside them. Who wouldn't want to be bold about that message, right? The guarantee of the new covenant was that the Holy Spirit who transformed followers of Jesus Christ at the heart level I'm sorry, the guarantee was the Holy Spirit who transformed followers of Jesus Christ at the heart level. And He did it so that God could have a people for Himself who did love Him with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind and all their strength. And so that they would love their neighbor as themselves and that He could have a people for Himself who had a heart after Him. And instead, Paul's detractors wanted people to keep going through this set of external rituals and motions. And we do this sometimes, right? Like we go to church and we sing some songs and we don't even really think about the words that we're singing. We just kind of sing them half-heartedly and we're like, Hallelujah, praise the one who saved my soul. But at least we went to church, right? We pray some prayers... And by the time we get to the end, we realize that our minds were barely engaged, let alone our hearts. Or worse, we turn prayer into this stale act where we talk in some voice that nobody else, we would never use in talking to anybody else. Oh Lord, Thou hast 
taught us to pray like this. Just so we can sound holy in front of others. Maybe we get baptized and we, we, we go through the motions of being dunked underwater, but, but we really had no intention of dying to ourselves and, and rising again in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was only the external act that we were going through. Listen, even on this side of the cross, even, even as we as believers uh, seek to encounter the living God, it can be so easy to just fall back into going through the motions, can it? To do all of the things that a Christian is supposed to do, but to fall short of truly encountering the, God, the living God by the Holy Spirit. And for the Jews of Paul's day and the ones who oppose Paul's gospel ministry, uh, he says the veil remains over their eyes. But when one turns to the Lord, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When one turns to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that Dwight baptized those folks into today, uh, when one turns to the Lord, God in three persons, the veil is removed. When we turn to the Father and realize that He's the sovereign creator of our lives, who gets to determine how our lives ought to be lived. When we turn to the Son and we realize that He's the Savior and Lord over all things, that we are nothing without Him, and we can do nothing apart from Him, and He's the one who fulfilled the law on our behalf, and He paid for our sin on the cross, and He rose again to conquer Satan's sin and death. When we turn to the Spirit and recognize that we can't do this Christian life thing without the power of the Spirit working in us, we can't do it in the power of our flesh. We need God to do a supernatural work in our hearts. When we turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. And so how do we know that Paul has... Ha- I'm sorry, that, that has happened into our lives. How do we know that that's happened in our lives? And Paul says that uh, we know when we behold the glory of the Lord. When I truly encounter God, His Spirit frees me to experience Christ's glory in my life. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The new covenant was given with the Holy Spirit who lifts the veil and who enables every believer not just to see reflected glory, not to just see like glory that was on Moses' face, but to see the actual glory like Moses did. To see the actual glory of God in their lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? See, Moses had to enter into the presence of God and then leave again. And it would result in this fading glory. But we get to have the presence of God enter into us through the Holy Spirit. Moses ministered a covenant of fading glory. And we're changed by a covenant of increasing glory in our lives. Paul says we're transformed from one degree of glory to another into the same image of God. 
That is, we begin to look like Jesus in His character and His desires and in His love. We die to ourselves and we're raised to a whole new life in Christ. And so even as awesome as, as it would be to enter into a tent and have a pillar of smoke and fire come down and all that kind of stuff, even as awesome as that would be, we have something better. And so here's what we can do with that truth. How, how can we know that we have this better covenant that we have entered into this new relationship through the Holy Spirit. I want us to see three simple things this morning. Uh, First of all, I can know that I am free in the Spirit when I am beholding Christ's glory in prayer. I can know that I am free in the Spirit when I am beholding Christ's glory in prayer. So back in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, it tells us that Moses talked to God face to face and that's what made his face shine as one talks to his friend. And then in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that we are beholding the glory of the Lord in the same way. In other words, that through the Spirit, we get to have the same face to face encounter with God that Moses had. We get the same access to God that Moses had. This God who shakes the mountains. This God who changes the characteristics of human skin just by looking at Him. This God who is enthroned above the cherubim in awesome splendor and glory frees us to behold Him. The word behold means we take an extended look at His glory. This is not a quick prayer before dinner. Uh, This is not a quick prayer before bedtime. This is not rattling off a list of things that I think that I need in order to be happy again. Uh, This is fervently seeking Christ's glory in prayer. I'm free to talk to God as if I'm talking to Him face to face. In that reality, if you really think about that, every time you go to prayer, that reality will change your prayer life. Like, don't just go in going through the motions. Set your mind on beholding the glory of Christ. Enter into prayer with a different purpose. Dwight and I often talk about different levels of communication, right? That we, that we interact with people in. And like how texting is sort of like, eh. It's like, I'll text you something that I need real quick. And, and how a phone call is better but there's some things you still don't want to deal with with a phone call, right? And, and then what you really, really want is a face-to-face conversation. And so in prayer, uh, don't just text God. Like my wife texts me a grocery list every Monday that, of things that we know we need at the store. And, and like that is not our highest form of communication. That, that is not our most intimate moment, right? You're not just calling God on the phone like, like when you, you talk to God every, like you talk to a friend every once in a while. Like I have friends who are like over in the Middle East and stuff like that and I talk to them on the phone like every three or four months. That's not what you're doing with God. In freedom, we are beholding the face of God. We are gazing at His beauty. Moses couldn't imagine life without that face-to-face connection with God. He couldn't imagine going into all of the blessings that he would have rattled off on his list without the presence of God in his life. 
Is that how you pray? Is it a face-to-face encounter with the living God? The Psalms say that those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be put to shame. Secondly, I can know I'm free in the Spirit when I'm beholding Christ's glory in the Scriptures. Paul said that, that when the Jews and his detractors read the Old Covenant, that is, they read the Old Testament, they have a veil over their eyes. And only through Christ is it lifted. And so, so Christ is the one who makes sense of all the Scriptures. He's like the key that unlocks the encrypted message of God's Word. And so all of the ceremonial law was fulfilled in Him. And all of the sacrificial law was fulfilled in Him. And all of the civil laws of Israel pointed forward to the peace that He would bring. And if you want to know what that looks like to fulfill God's moral law perfectly, uh, look to Jesus. All of the history of the Old Testament points to our need for Jesus and His saving work. All of the Psalms should be seen as being read by Jesus first. And then we can read them for ourselves. Jesus is the key that unlocks the encrypted message of God's Word. And so often we, we want to open the Bible and just kind of rush to like either what can I get out of this for myself, what can I feel good about, or, or what do I have to do? And instead we need to gaze at the Scriptures and behold the glory of Christ there. We need to see them first as being fulfilled in Jesus and then as how they can apply to us. God wants so much for you when He speaks to you in His Word. And so as you go to the Scriptures, ask God. Talk to God. I was teaching my son this the other day. Like when, we're, when we open the Bible, the first thing that we do is we call out to God and we say, help us to understand more of who you are. Help me to see you here. Show me your glory. Show me my need for you. Show me the beauty of your character. Show me your salvation. In every passage of Scripture that we turn to, we need to be seeking Christ first. Beholding Christ will leave us with an awareness of our need to change. But we must see Christ first. The third way that we need to, that we can know that we're free in the Spirit is beholding Christ's glory in my growth. In my growth. Paul says that as we behold His glory, we grow into the same image. But he says, and this is really encouraging to me, we do it incrementally. We are transformed from one level of glory to another. This is supernatural growth. So this is not just getting older and wiser. This is not trying to be a little more kind today or a little more patient tomorrow. This is growth in which the glory of Christ and His character and His love and His desires begin to actually show up in my life in ways that are completely beyond my own ability. The Spirit of God changes us into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. And so have you seen that in your own life? There are moments where we'll be discouraged in this. There are moments when we'll be like, I just fell back to where I was five years ago. But on the whole, can you look at your life and say, I'm not the same man, I'm not the same woman that I was a month ago, six months ago, 
a year ago, five years ago, that God is transforming me into the image of Christ. He's producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in me. You need to ask yourself this question. Am I growing to look more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? Am I beholding Christ in prayer and in the Scriptures and and reflecting His image in my life? We become what we behold. We become what we behold. And if your gaze is fixed on Jesus and He is your heart's desire, you will grow to be like Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Zach and Shelley, keep beholding Christ. Keep beholding Christ. Today is just the beginning of the work that He wants to do in you. Maybe some of the rest of you here are like, like, yeah, I don't really see any growth in my life. Or what growth I see really isn't all that supernatural. And yeah, I've said that I believed in Jesus before, but I haven't really seen it. It's time to turn to the Lord today. It's time to get your eyes on Him and His saving power and the work that He wants to do. It's time to stop going through the motions. See His beauty. See His perfection. See His salvation. And I'd be happy to talk to you more about that after the service. Maybe you are a believer and you have had some encounters with God and you have seen that growth. You still need to be awakened again and again and again because the encounter with God is never over. You have the Holy Spirit with you. And He wants to guide you every step of your walk in Christ. Behold Christ's glory in prayer this week. Behold Christ's glory in the Scriptures this week. And as you do, behold Christ's glory in your growth this week. Let's pray. Father, we need You for this growth. We don't want your blessing without your presence. We ask that you would change us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see who Jesus is. If there is someone here who the veil is over their eyes, and even as I preach this message, and even as I declare your word and your gospel, they just can't see it, would you, uh, oh God who said, let light shine out of darkness, would you shine in their hearts to give them the knowledge of the glory of, Christ, of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Would you help them to see Jesus and give their lives to Him, surrender completely to Him and walk by faith in Him? And then Father, for my brothers and sisters who have encountered you again and again, would you give them a fresh encounter this week? Would you help them to see that the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is even better than what Moses had? Would you help us as a church to treasure that truth and to walk in complete faith in the Holy Spirit's power? 
Father, do your work in our church. Move us forward in Christ to be more like him so that we are a purified bride on the day that he returns. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.